What's up everyone? I hope your day is going smoothly as ever. I have been waiting on this episode to drop for the longest. I had a great opportunity to interview Alex Ferrari, the amazing mind behind Indie Film Hustle. Look, if you have not heard of Alex Ferrari, then congratulations, you know him now. Uh, if you are familiar with Alex Ferrari, you could imagine how excited I was to be able to interview him, especially when we're talking about his new book, Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, How to Turn Independent Film into Money-Making Business. This is not just a title. This book does exactly what it says, how to turn your independent film into a money-making business. In my opinion, this is the equivalent to Gary Vee's Crush It, but for filmmakers. I'm not going to say much more because I really want y'all to hear the episode, but I do have to apologize. Uh, I was such in fanboy mode that in the beginning of the interview, I was not recording on my side. Uh, luckily, what Alex was recording, so I was able to strip the audio from uh, the video recording that he had. So, yeah, I'm sorry. But I do start recording like... Uh, but I do start recording sooner or later, so the audio will be getting better. Better, But the beginning, yeah, just bear with it. It will get better. So that being said, let's get on with the show. filmmaking and creative i have once again i know i've been saying it back to back every episode but no exaggeration i have a very special guest today mr alex ferrari if i had 30 hand claps i would clap them all <laughs> at once thank, thank you so much for that man i appreciate that yeah like i said i'm a huge fan um for all my viewers if you're listening to me this is one guy you have to be listening to, uh, Alex Ferrari, you know, his podcast, Indie Film Hustle, like everything about you speaks like what I try to get people to pursue. We talk a lot about business and how to grow your business, what the, the dirty, the down and dirty of the business. Mm -hmm. um, I go through it, as B goes through it, we talk about it, we tell people. But you are on another level that I <laughs> that I listen to. I, I am an avid listener to your podcast, and I will not lie when I say some things I love what you do. I try to see if I it, it really helps make sure what I'm doing. I try to better my craft. So that listen, man, I I truly I'm humbled by those statements. So I pre, I really do appreciate it, and you know it's it's all about getting the word out there, man. However however we can get this information out there, whether it's by them listening to my podcast, reading my books, watching a video I do, or listening to your podcast, or many or the many other great podcasts and content out there. If we can get this information out there to help filmmakers, that's the end of the day. What we're trying to do, man, because it is it is rough out here. Right, exactly. And it's, it's funny you mention that. The first time I, uh, I guess, saw you, uh, watched you, you was on iFilmmaker with um, 
Um, why can I oh, Ariel? Ariel, Ariel, Mar- Ariel Martinez. Yeah. Yes, I was I was actually chatting during the live that you all were doing, and at that time you was talking about another book you have, right? Which is uh the um you and the mob. Yeah, shooting for the mob. Shooting for the mob. I don't have that book. I need that book because I'm quite sure. Yes, right there. So, so just so you know, the audiobook version of that book will be available in the new year. I am actively in the middle of it right now. You do that, I will get it ASAP. Yeah, that one. Yeah, because I finally, (laughs) I kind of like popped my cherry with the audiobook with this book that we're talking about today. And I was like, Mm -hmm. all right, let me, let me go back and, because I, it's so difficult to go through that book because of the emotions and, go into a really dark place again, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's tough. So, but now I'm, I'm on chapter nine. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm cooking along. I'm cooking along. Right. Right. Exactly. Look, well, um, that was one thing I love because I do have the audio book for the book you're here to talk, talk about today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have that audio book and I am glad that you're the one narrating. Mm-hmm. I love when uh, author mm-hmm. of the book actually narrates because, um, Crushing it. Yeah, I love um, crushing with, it. Yeah, he, I automatically knew um, him narrating his book, he would go off the cuff immediately. I already knew. And I do that as I, well. I do that as well. Right. It, I, well, I love it. I love it, every, every part of it. Uh, we're here to talk about Rise of the Film. How do how you say it's like entre, It's like entrepreneur. Is entrepreneur, but film entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. Film entrepreneur. That's it. Entrepreneur, film entrepreneur. Film entrepreneur. Yeah. Okay. My viewers know I have trouble saying things. <laughs> so, uh, it's all good. Entrepreneur. Okay. I got yeah. that. I love it. I love it. Um, I love a lot about your brand. You know, I can't say that enough. Thank you. Um, you really do get a lot of great information out, and you get you you have it accessible to people uh, like me. Um, just want to go in and get a little bit, little bit out the way, mm-hmm. kind of give a spiel of your brand, um, Indie Film Hustle. So what I try to do with Indie Film Hustle is when I started it, I started Indie Film Hustle about four and a half years ago. And I've been in the business, uh, I've been in the business for over 25 years. And when I was looking to start an online business, <clears throat> of, after being kind of like one foot in, but a lot out of the business. I, I owned a gourmet shop, uh, olive oil and vinegar gourmet shop. That's a whole other story <laughs> for a whole other episode because uh, right. I got burnt out by the business. Uh, and I came back and I wanted to open up an online business. And I looked at the filmmaking uh, niche and I realized that there was a lot of people talking about filmmaking and podcasting. And now there's a lot more podcasts than there were before. But there were still a handful of podcasts, and there had been a few people that in in the space who'd been doing stuff. But I really hadn't seen anybody that had my um, my first of all my flavor, my experience, uh, and my shrapnel. Uh, I, I, you know, I always say I've taken a lot of shrapnel in the business, and I didn't see anybody that was talking about it from a street level, with from someone who's actually not just done it, but is doing it. And I came out with guns a blaring, and I wanted to create. Uh, a resource for filmmakers that was raw, motivational, educational, but no BS, like a real straight, like, because this business is too difficult. It's just too rough. It's too brutal to have sugar-coated stuff out there. And that's what majority of stuff out there is, is this sugar-coated, 
Hollywood glammed, you know, version of what it's like to be an independent filmmaker. And I wanted to kind of get down in the dirt and go, no, guys, this is the truth. And this is from my experience working in the business for so many years and working with so many filmmakers over the course of my career, as well as my own projects as a director and post and all the stuff that I did. And I came out with my podcast uh, July, I think it was July of 2015. And within a few months, I was the number one filmmaking podcast at the time and had been had been doing work on, I've been building that podcast ever since. I think we're up to, we're getting close to 400 episodes now. So it's, there's a wealth. Yeah, you are. <laughs> it's, it's getting, it's, it's, it's getting, wild. it's getting, I just currently, I don't know if you heard in the latest episode, but I just am now pulling back instead of doing two episodes a week for Indie Film Hustle, I'm going to only do one a week because I'm going to be focusing energy somewhere else. But I still do another film entrepreneur episode a week. And I also do a bulletproof screenwriting episode. So I have three podcasts right now. But that is the brand, basically, Indie Film Hustle, is something to educate, inspire, entertain filmmakers on, on, on how to survive and thrive. And now I'm actually pitching it more, not just to survive in the business, but to start thinking outside the the system. Right. There's a there's a lot of things and a lot of educational product. And there's entire film, basically film school is to teach you how to work within the system. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm going to be the resource, and I am a lot, a, a big resource right now for filmmakers who want to build a business to work outside of the the system, work outside of the Hollywood system, and and be own their be be their own creators and control their own revenue streams. Because I I could tell you I was. I snuck in. I've I've snuck into the Hollywood party a couple times. I always get thrown <laughs> out by the bouncer. I've always I'm always been trying to sneak in. I've always been trying to get in. Right. I'm always trying to hack myself in. I've been doing this and that. You know, my first book was a real example of you know I I was invited. I you know I spoke to the biggest movie stars in the world and you know and the biggest producers and directors and everything in the world, and I've been invited multiple times in my in my in my career to like, you know, the back lot, to the studios, all that stuff. But I never get to stay. I always get escorted out. And I just got finally tired of just waiting around for permission for someone else to tell me I can do what I'm gonna do. Right. So that's when I that's why I built Indie Film Hustle, because I was like, you know what? I'm gonna just build my own I'm gonna I'm gonna build my own game and I'm gonna I'm gonna build my own rules and I'm just gonna do it my way. And that ever since I decided to do that and stopped worrying about, you know, playing their game by their rules, my life changed, you know, like by making my first feature film for five grand and selling it to Hulu and selling it internationally. And my new film that's coming out in January, which I shot at Sundance for 3000 bucks. And I generated Whoa. revenue with it. We'll, we could talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But, in, and I've already started generating money with that movie and it's never been released. It mm -hmm. hasn't been released yet. So those are the things that are the basis of why I wrote rise of the film entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a money-making business. Because I felt that that, I felt that this is a space that so many filmmakers are dying to know and, and understand that knowledge because the world around us, the distribution world, the system that is Hollywood, and specifically the, the mid-level and lower level and predatory level film distributors, that whole system is crackling, it's, it's, it's just coming down around us. And nobody knows anything. And I was just at AFM, and I'm talking to distributor after sales agent after distributor, and they just are—they just don't know. Things are changing so fast that they don't even know how to make money anymore. So they're just abusing filmmakers more and more. So I'm—I'm I'm here to say, don't play that game. Play your own game, 
And trust me, you're going to come out ahead if you're smart and you do a lot of the things I say in the book. Right. And the book so far, like I'm, um, having even fully, like I, I'm not even halfway and you give out a lot ton straightforward information that I'm, I'm just saying the information has always been out there, but you mm-hmm. put so much meat into information <laughs> I appreciate into that. each individual chapter that I have uh, listened to. Um, I've already decided I will get the book because I, I need to like <laughs> highlight, you know, make notes and everything. A lot of pages will be full yellow. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, that's so funny. That's so funny. Cause after the book's only been around uh, as of this recording, the book's only been around for a week and a half. So the book is, hasn't been out for months and months. It just got released last week on Monday. Really? And I, I, yeah, it's, it seems like people have this, like it's been around forever and it's been around for less than 10 days. Uh-huh. I think this is day 10, but the response I've gotten from people who bought the audiobook or bought the ebook is that they're going back and buying the physical book because they want to make notes. They want to turn it into kind of like a, a go-to field guide right. on how to to do this. Yes. And it's it's humbling. It is humbling to say the least. Well, that's that's like what I have to do. Like I'll listen to the audiobook first. And mm-hmm. if I'm like, you know, okay, mm-hmm. I need to actually have notes. I need to have this at mm-hmm. arm's reach, you know, I'll go out and buy the book. And I'm definitely doing that with this and uh shooting for the mob um which Thank you, you know i'm definitely gonna gonna have to get we're gonna we're gonna talk about the book but uh, i have to say the last in our in our last episode was talking to brandon washington uh he's mm-hmm. a uh, houston youtuber uh, and filmmaker um and we were talking about the kappa kappa law for youtube and mm-hmm. what we told people is it's time to put your big boy pants on you you, mm-hmm. you can't rely on Google, uh, mm-hmm. Big Daddy Google, to make your mm-hmm. money. You have mm-hmm. to do your mm-hmm. own thing. You have to you have mm-hmm. to work with your community, build your own community. You have to talk to them, and sooner or later, they will become the ones that will support you the most. And they're I'll the ones. You know what? No, I was gonna tell. I don't mean to cut you off, but I did an episode on my Film Entrepreneur podcast with a guy called Christopher Sharp. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris um, basically owns the word yoga on YouTube. So he has a, a YouTube channel called Yoga with Adrian. It has, I think, like five or six million followers. And he's a he's a YouTube, like, Yoda. Like, he's insane. He yeah. really – so he – like, if you type in the word yo- yoga, he's, like, the top he's gonna pop seven. Up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's – and that's a huge – I mean, that's a massive market. I mean, massive. Right. But he realized years ago that – he couldn't do that. He couldn't rely on YouTube alone for the ad revenue. So he started thinking like a film entrepreneur and he built out a membership site, an actual complete streaming site that is dedicated to his audience. So out of those millions and millions of, um, of, uh, followers on YouTube that are free, a, a small, but significant amount signed up for his yearly membership with, with Adrian. And that's where he makes the bulk of his money in addition to world he does world tours now they do they have merch sponsorship deals they've built an entire business and use youtube as a marketing machine exactly to do yes that's exactly what you need you need to do and like i said you we you talk a lot about that in your book so um go on and go and start talking about the book uh so how how long did it actually take you to um 
write it and actually put it, everything into it. Like I know yeah. I'm shooting for the mob took a little bit because of, yeah. you know, emotions. going back and yeah, emotions <laughs> going back in time. So how long did it take for you to write this book? I mean, if I tell you, man, it really took me about five or six weeks. I mean, I flew through this. It was just, it, I vomited it out of me. It was, it, 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 I just sat down once I had the outline, which grew, uh, but once I had the base outline to how like I, all the information was in my head. Exactly. So it was all there. So I just like, I just got to organize it all. I'm like, okay. Brrr, and I would just write a thousand to 1500 words a day. Sometimes I'd have 2,500, 3000 word days. Uh, I sat. I sat down just to start writing about distribution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I fit, when I looked up, I was fifteen thousand words in. So I was like, I got to break all this up now because it, you know, and I, that's why there's a whole chapter on predatory film distribution and how they trick you and how they scam you in their contracts, all mm-hmm. that. Then the whole distributor thing happened, and then I, I, uh, I wrote a whole thing about film aggregators, how to be careful about what they do and how they do their things. Uh, it was, it, it flew out of me, man. I, I honestly, like, I, I listened to the book as I was, uh, cause I was, as I was recording the book, I had to listen to the chapters back and back uh-huh. and I would listen to, and I would listen to it. I'm like, who wrote this? <laughs> it's like, this sounds like, too good to be this me. Is, this is like, who did this? <laughs> this, this is some, this is some cool shit right here. Man. I don't even know. Shit. This and, and and I was like, wow. And I knew I knew when I wrote the book, man. I'll be honest with you. I knew when I wrote the book that it was going to, it's it's going to rock people. Uh-huh. It's going to rock people because it is a complete mind a shift. It's a completely different way of looking at filmmaking. So it is, it is my crush it. You know, if I could be so bold as to compare myself to Gary V's crush it, I would. My, I would. I would. I would say yes, it is. In, That's in, what in, ter- I want. in terms of how much you put in, and I'm not even halfway there. <laughs> like you're very direct. You give out the information. You have the resources. Like you're giving out so much in this book. If it 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 this has to be a book that should be on every single filmmaker, not just filmmakers. Pretty much, I would even say you know content YouTube, creators, right? Content creators, yes. It, even content creators needs to have this book because the way you break down how to market and how to actually use resources that don't, you know, cut the budget, you know, don't have 1000 If you don't have like a huge budget, like use the resources you have to make mm-hmm. something that will psh, just fill your bank, basically fill your bank. <laughs> Yeah, and and I I made sure to you know, and you you're only you're just touching the surface. You haven't even gotten into the deep meat I of the know. book yet. Yeah. So there's 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 by the way every case every um, theory or everything that I talk about is backed up with multiple case studies. Yes. So it's not pie in the sky stuff. It's not theoretical. It's all practical, either by myself doing it or by someone I've interviewed or someone that I've studied. So there's multiple case studies backing every little every little part of the method up, and it's. I lost my train of thought because I got I got excited. <laughs> I apologize. Please, you good? You good? <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> there's just a, there's just a lot of information. There's just a tremendous amount of information in there, and I try to pack. That was what I was trying. That, that, that's I got my I got my train back. Uh, I wanted to make sure that this was going to be something accessible to anybody. So anybody with an iPhone, with no budget for marketing, could 
build a business out of what they're trying to do. Now I'm making it simplistic. There is a lot more technical and a lot more things you need to do. Like you need to understand filmmaking, you need to understand editing, you need to right. understand how to create a product and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But taking that part for granted, you don't need a big budget. You just need to understand a few key elements. One, the riches are in the niches. Which is that, a chapter, name of your, one of the chapters. Correct. Riches are in the niches because the niche is the most powerful tool the independent filmmaker has in their arsenal, in the new world, in the new film economy. That's what I, I'm calling it. It's the new film economy. And when I when I say that, I'll, I'll give you a little background on what I feel the new film economy is and what is happening to our industry, which a lot of people aren't talking. I don't think anybody really is talking about it the way I am. So hopefully this will get, clarify it. Yeah. There is a devaluation of media happening in the world. Boy, so there, is it. There, there is – it happened in publishing first. Then it destroyed the music industry. And now that exact same thing is happening to us. So if you remember back in the day, how much did it cost to get a hit song? Uh, $17.99 for that CD, right? You get one or two hits. Yep. And you were – so there's the labels had – control of the access. They control the access to the art. That's how the middleman works. So then and then they would do they would do singles and things like that, but it was still fairly controlled. It was records, then tapes, then CDs. Then something called the MP3 was invented. And the and the labels were like, "Whoa, what's this?" Then Napster showed up and made it super easy for anyone to download the entire catalog of the Beatles and Elvis. In 30 minutes. <laughs> yes. You know, I could I could download I could download Jay Z and Taylor Swift's entire catalog in a fi in five minutes now. Right. So now so now what used to cost 17.99 is now free. It's worthless at this at this point. So then what happened? They fought the, the the of course what always happens in every industry, the people that are in power try to hold on to their power, try to hold on to the status quo because that's their golden goose. That's the way they've made money and they don't want to let go of that. Blockbuster is a perfect example. I have a whole little part in the books, like don't be Blockbuster. And I lay out the whole story of how Blockbuster completely screwed the pooch. Um, but they try to hold on, so they what did they do? They sued their fa they sued their customers who were downloading music for free. They, they tried everything. You can't really fight piracy. Right. It's not... It's not a winnable battle because it's it's, it's kind of like trying to fight terrorism. Like mm -hmm. you can't fight terrorism. <laughs> like it's like it's all over the place. There's not one person that you're going to punch out. It's it's all it's too many. Right. So there there was a a young and up and coming guy called Steve Jobs. Now Steve Jobs showed up and said to the industry, "Hey guys, I've got this thing called the iPod, and um, people are really." loving it. I'm selling a lot of these things and they're just using, they're putting all those downloaded, those illegal downloaded MP3s you got, they're putting it on my, on my, on my hardware. I, I, I mean, I, I don't want that, but you know, what I could do is I can show you guys how to do this legally. And he said something very, very, very important. He said, you can't fight piracy, but you can compete with it. And if you can make it easy enough and convenient enough for the consumer, they'll pay. They'll pay for it. They don't want to have to go to piracy because it's a pain in the ass and there's a there's the legalities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People rather not do it, but if they want their stuff and you can't give it to them, they're they going to get it. They they're going to find get a way.
they're going to find a way one way or the other. So then he said, okay, all songs now are 99 cents. And they're like, wait, wait a minute, that destroys our entire business model. He's like, your business model is gone. Mm -hmm. It's either this way or the highway. And they had no choice, and they let this outsider come in and take over their entire industry. And then, if that wasn't enough, so now what used to be $17.99 was $0.99, cents, but was really $0.70 cents whole, uh, gross. And then you're going to split that again with the, the label and the artist. So the artist is going to make, make a dime, $0.15, cents, right? That's what right. basically if you're lucky off that song. Mm -hmm. Then if that wasn't rough enough, then something called Spotify showed up and <laughs> Apple Music yep. and Amazon Music. And now for $9.99, $12.99, whatever that monthly fee is, you have access to all music. So now the value of that media, of that art, has dropped down to a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a penny, essentially making it worthless. The only value in the music is in the whole of the catalog of all music. That's where that value of $12.99 comes in for the consumer. But the artist, they're, heart, they're hurting because the old way of making money is gone. So what, are the, what do the musicians have to do? Where are they making their money now? Touring, Tour. merch, sponsorship, access to the artist, meaning photo ops, autographs. Those, that's where they're making their money. The music now is a loss leader for people to buy their brand, their merch, right. their everything. Because you can't, you can't really download a t-shirt. You can't download no. a selfie. You can't download the experience of a live event. Not really, not to be there and, and do the whole thing. Right. So that's how they've had to shift. So the smart musicians have been able to shift. Mm -hmm. and, and and a lot of new ones are building their entire empires on YouTube just by doing covers. And now they go on tour and they're using YouTube as a way, they give away their music to sell their other things. That is what has happened in the music industry. So now let's take this over to the film industry. Mm -hmm. And now what has happened in the film industry? The exact same thing. It's just happening a little bit slower. It's taken us years to get here. But when Netflix showed up with streaming, changed the game. Before, DVD was the golden goose. That was the thing that every that you could make the crappiest film, throw it up on DVD, and you would make your money back internationally, all that stuff. The whole world was open that way. But now, ever since Netflix introduced streaming and then introduced original content like House of Cards and Orange is the New Black and all that stuff, our habits changed. Now we want, like I'm an older, I'm older than you are. Yeah. Uh, but my generation had to wait for, for stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I worked at a video store. I remember what that was like. Today, there's entire generations who've never rented anything. They've never really paid for media. Mm -hmm. they're, used to getting, they're used to getting it for free through YouTube because YouTube also introduced that concept. Yep. But Netflix took it another step because now they're premium content that you can stream. You can binge entire series, you know, entire series now you can binge and watch movies all the time. So now the value of those movies have dropped dramatically. So even the even the – um, the big studios are having issues generating revenue with their films in the old traditional model. There's been many studios that have been hurting. Paramount is hurting. Sony had been hurting. If it wasn't for a handful of movies that Sony did, uh, they'd be hurting. But Men in Black International didn't, didn't help them much. Charlie's no. Angels didn't, didn't help them much. Didn't um, even watch it. You know, Lionsgate, you know, these, these, these smaller uh, companies are hurting. 
Universal Studios doing they're okay, yeah. but there's there's they're they're third on the string. First is Disney, and then then comes Warner Brothers. And but but why are those two specifically are are so well versed and specifically Disney? Disney everyone's trying to catch up. I'll to Disney. say yes, yeah, Disney. I mean every, everyone's everyone's trying to catch up to Disney. Yeah. Why is that? Because their business models do not rely on the old business model. Disney changed that game. It's taken them 20 years of infrastructure, 20 years of working on this to get to where they are today, to the point where they now make the majority of their money outside of the exploitation of their movies. So just let's put this in an example here for a second. This year, they broke box office records. They, they made $10 billion gross. In the box office, Disney did alone. Ten bill, a billion, a billion, ten billion with a B, alone. Okay, on on theatrical. Yes, on theatrical. Do you know what their entire, how much they are estimated to make in 2019? Their whole, the whole company. I don't even. I can't even fathom. I I went in. I went into their corporate filings and I I found out, seventy billion dollars. Oh. They're gonna they're gonna gross seventy billion dollars this year. So the majority of their money is not coming from the actual exploitation or access to the movie, to the art. They're making their money. The number one way Disney makes their money, parks and resorts. Second, cable and networks. So like ESPN, all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. now you could throw now you could throw that little thing called Disney Plus in. Yes. Which by the way, by the way, they're up to twenty million subscribers in less than a month. Twenty million subscribers. I pre-ordered it. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I'm watching The Mandalorian as well as like everybody yes, else in the planet. Yes. So, um, and then thirdly is um, box office or actual revenue, and then fourth comes in as merch or licensing and product lines. But the big, there's one little caveat there: in their parks and resorts, they sell a lot of merch, so that's also included in that number as well. So, what I'm trying to make the point is that Disney makes the majority of their money using the filmtrepreneur model which is creating ancillary product lines, ancillary services to exploit the, the, the art. And that is the new way filmmakers need to think. Star Wars did it. Walt Disney did it in 1937 when someone bought a t-shirt for Mickey Mouse. Right now, as we're speaking, they're still making money. Right now, they just made $10. Somewhere, someone bought a t-shirt with, with Mickey, Mickey Mouse, Mouse on it. Right now, some, off of a short, by the way, that's a short film. So let's just let's just clarify that that was a short film he did back in 1936, I think 35 or 36. That blew someone up. Someone right, someone right now is buying a T-shirt with Snow White on it. That's a movie from 1937. They're still generating revenue off that film, but now they have the infrastructure. Now they have all that stuff out there, and I know what I wanted to do is to bring that concept, what like what Lucas did, what George Lucas did with Star Wars. And I bring it all the way down to the street level, bring it all the way down to what we, where we are, because that's where the majority of us are. And I want everybody to understand out there, there's a lot more of us than there are of them. Right. You know, there's a lot more people trying to get into the party than are actually playing in the party. So I'm, I'm about like, hey, let's not even look at that party anymore, guys. That party's cool. It's nice. It's got some nostalgia to it. But that system is not for everybody and you can't just live your your career dreaming about walking into that party. You've got to build your own thing. If not, you're going to end up like me. I wasted 20 years of my life trying to play the game. But mm-hmm. the moment I changed, my whole world changed. 
And now I've been able to do what I've been able to do over the course of the last five years because I changed the game. I, and I, and I spoken to so many filmmakers over the course of the last five years who've done the same thing, who've changed the game, who've written their own rules, who did their own thing outside of the system. And that is the future. And that's what the book really, um, really helps. And that, so understanding the, the, where we're at now in our industry, then you have to understand the power of the niche. So the niche is the most powerful tool we have because if what's, what's something that you're passionate about? This. Podcast, besides right, this. right right now oh besides this this is it yeah this is all this is all you do so so movies basically filmmaking filmmaking Let, oh, right, right like right now i'm actually implementing like from here to 2000 this mm-hmm. this podcast couldn't happen any at the any best time ever because i'm mm-hmm. implementing what you're talking about right now and Good. i already know next year huge difference because i'm at oh, okay. next year will be year three for me in my mm-hmm. in my filmmaking business so mm-hmm. right like right now uh i'll be going with podcasting like podcasting mm-hmm. I'm, I'm taking things to the next level so mm-hmm. so 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 you like so filmmaking is your thing right now right yes. so filmmaking is your thing. all right so let me just put it this way if you're passing on amazon on amazon prime right you're scanning through movies and all of a sudden you see a movie about three filmmakers who are trying to sell their movie at Sundance. And then, and you're like, and you heard that some guy made it in four days and they actually shot it at Sundance while Sundance was going on. Because you're so passionate about that niche, will that movie jump to the top of your list, your watch list? Uh, No. It wouldn't? No. How come? Mainly because it wouldn't jump to the top, but the main reason why it probably wouldn't because what you talk about in your book is it has to be something or some someone that will make you want to jump in to watch that movie because there's so many other movies and films that might get in the way of me watching that. So Right, so all right, so let me put it another way. If you knew that it was a movie that I did I would watch about it. A movie that was, that, it was a movie that I directed about three filmmakers trying to sell their movie at the Sundance Film Festival, and no one's ever made a movie at the Sundance Film Festival while the festival's going on. Would it jump to the top of your list? Oh, yeah. So that's a niche. That's the power of the niche because that niche, that that love, that emotional attachment you have to the filmmaking process or to being a vegan or being a surfer or being a skateboarder or whatever that is, that cuts through everything else. And it could be, that's why faith-based films do so well, because that it, it connects with their audience at a, at a much deeper level, it's faith-based. Political films do well, because it connects with their own beliefs, their own tribe. That is what you need to tap into. It's an extremely powerful thing. And Hollywood can't compete with that. Right. Because Hollywood is not about the niche. They can't be about the niche, they're too big. So they're the they're the cruise liner that has the ability to house fifteen thousand people when they're going to the Bahamas, where you need to be the speedboat, right? That could just jump all over the place, and mm-hmm. that's where we are. That's where we are. So that's the power of the niche, and that is the basis of the film entrepreneur model: is understanding the marketplace, understanding the audience that you're going to try to create a product for, preferably as a product or, or a film. Uh, that or a niche that you're very passionate, passionate about, about yourself. Yes. 
Yeah, because if you just try to do it for the money, like, hey, I'm not, I eat meat, but I'm gonna make a vegan documentary. It's not. It's gonna not work. gonna show. It's not gonna. No, show. you have you have to be authentic about it. So find something that's really authentic to you, and connect with that audience. And it doesn't always have to be specific. It could be something like an art house film. Now, art house films are very broad. And in today's world, it's very difficult to make any noise with an art house film, like a black and white personal right. kind of film. Mm-hmm. But but you could use something called the regional cinema, the regional cinema model, where is where you create products, you create films for your local community because you have a relationship, you have networks there. You're able to fill a theater there. Could you put 500 people in the theater? Could you make enough noise in your local community to fill some theaters? Could you make an event out of that? I have one filmmaker who hasn't come on the show yet, but what he used to do is he would put a poetry reading, dinner, and you get a copy of his movie for 30 bucks. So that night you would get a plate of food, a poetry reading, and a DVD of his latest movie, and it was 30 bucks. And he was, and he, he made bank. He made bank, but that's the way you have to think differently. So there's always a way to connect with an audience, whether it be a small regional audience or a worldwide niche. It, it, it was always a way, but that is kind of the cornerstone of the film entrepreneur method. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because that was something I was actually thinking about probably, I would say last week, how I live in Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, small mm-hmm. town, uh, s- smallish town. So there are, here is very, who you know, very community-based, and there's a lot of people that have interesting stories. You mm-hmm. go to that person, family, and you say, hey, I want to create a film about you. I, I know about you. You have a very interesting life. If you budget that film around, like, pretty, like, right, you have the resources because the story is based in that town, so you don't have travel. Uh, the family's still living. You know, and not only that, you have those people, if they're very influential in your city, everybody will want to see that. And like you said, you create an event that goes around it. You know, you get a couple people to sponsor. You get uh, some other people intact that and then their people come in to want to see and uh, show up for the, uh, the viewing. So that's that is interesting. You brought that up. And don't forget, you should be have some T-shirts, some hats. Oh, yeah some other products there or services, by the way, mm-hmm. something that works with that audience. So, because people, if they come out to an event like that, they want to support, man. They want to help you out. They want to give you money. So you got to figure out a, what, what's valuable to that audience. You know, will a t-shirt of, you know, if it's a local movie about a local celebrity or a story that's about the town or something along, or a, or a story that takes place in that town and you make the town the star, Man, and you do that for a smart budget. You do that for a smart budget. It has to be a smart budget. So you can't make that for a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars unless your town can support it. So you've got to justify what is the niche support and what what's the budget. My 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 entire methodology is keep the budget as low as humanly possible. What is the minimal viable product? What is your MVP you can create? Do you need the crane shot? Do you need the drone shot? Is it gonna? How much is it gonna bring to the bottom line of your film? I know artistically it might look prettier, but if it's gonna cost you an extra thousand bucks to bring in that crane, could you take that thousand bucks and put it into marketing and just put it on sticks or get a slider? Think outside the box. Think how you can make that film for as low as possible to create a product for the marketplace and still be artistic in in the same way. Exactly. Um, Sean Buckley, who was on the show a couple of episodes ago with. 
Buckley, Buck Buck Productions. One mm-hmm. of the things he did to grow his company is he made sure he didn't have overhead to keep him from creating. Um, a lot of his films and the work he does are very are very simple. They're very story driven. He don't he you will rarely see a big like production going on with, with the things he's doing because he doesn't also he also doesn't really have that much of staff in his office he outsources a lot of his uh probably well i know editing from what he said and you know producing he outsources a lot because he's not really a creator like us he just loves to create so if when he needs to create a project he uses money to you know hire somebody out he doesn't have to pay uh, a payroll as much as somebody else would have to do to mm-hmm. create so he keeps his overhead low to make sure his projects is exactly what he wants to make sure the story goes exactly what it needs to be without you know having to deal with can we afford this you know will this break our budget you know so once there was one and there was one I don't mean to cut you off there was one filmmaker that uh, when he started his, and he's going to be on my show soon. When he his his first movie, he had no idea what to do with how to make a movie. So his entire movie was master shots. He had no coverage. He gave it to the editor, and the editor's like, "Where's the coverage?" He's like, "What's coverage?" Yeah. Like the entire the entire movie was shot in master shot. But did that stop him? No. He made it for like I think he made it for like five hundred dollars. He made like five grand off that, selling it out of the back of his car, at barber shops, at churches, at barbecue events. He just hustled it, and that's how he started his. And then he took that money, made his next movie for a thousand bucks, turned it in, and flipped it, and flipped it, and flipped it. Till now he has like twenty features under his belt, and he's um, he's doing direct deals with cable companies for licensing and direct deals with Netflix and things like that because he's now been able to build up to a hundred thousand dollar budget. But now he's able to make two three hundred thousand dollars off of that movie, and now he's built. And that's what Tyler Perry did. And that's, you know, I mean, Tyler Perry is like the ultimate film entrepreneur, but he was smart. He leveraged the studio. Right. He, he used Lionsgate, just like Lucas used Fox, you know, to get him to where they need to be. Just mm-hmm. how Robert Rodriguez used Miramax. Like, you know, they all, they all, that was their system. That was their way of getting in. Right. In, in today's world, Tyler could do it. If he was starting from scratch today and there was no Tyler Perry, there was no Medea, there was no other person who filled that hole that he filled, he could do it today using the film entrepreneur method. And it'll take him a little, maybe a little bit longer, but he would still be able to build a business uh, out of what he loves to do. And and again, you don't have to be uh, a billionaire. No. You, you, what is what is the number that it's going to take for you to have food on the table, pay your rent? Not have to worry about money, as far as you know, paying your bills and being able to do yeah, necessities and doing what you love to do. That's the dream, right? Right. So if that's fifty, if that's fifty thousand dollars a year, that's a hundred thousand dollars a year, that's one hundred fifty thousand. Whatever that number is for you, then just get that to that number, and you can just keep going. And that's that's the goal of the of the book. No, and you you talk a lot, really, like you break it down to a T of what people need to do. Um, to really just grow their business and actually make their films happen. Um, one thing you talked about, and it's all over you, is the word hustle. 
a lot of people, <laughs> even I. But I, 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 it, it, I had to realize this year, hustle doesn't mean I'm working all freaking day to make mm. a living. Hustle mm-hmm. means I am working to make money that will make money so I don't have to work all freaking day. Hustle is making smarter decisions, not to see the big picture and actually being precise with your moves to make sure your money actually makes money. Have you ever read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad? It's on my reading list. All right. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad talks about the four quadrants of of um, finance, which basically is you either work, you know, you're trading do- uh, hours for dollars, mm-hmm. which is what most people do. And there's a limit to that. Then there is the, if I'm not mistaken, there's the uh, business owner, like the, your own business owner. Then there's the, uh, I think it's the business owner. I forgot one of the quadrants. And then there becomes the investor right. where the money work, the money works for you. Right. You've got to figure out a way to generate a product and, and in today's world, you can that generates revenue with you for you, regardless if you're doing anything to it. It might be a lot of upfront time, but afterwards the money just keeps rolling in. So that's what investment is in real estate. Once you buy real estate and then you rent out, uh, you know, uh, apartment buildings and things like that, that's passive income that's coming in off of, a, of off of an asset that you've created. So instead of buying because a lot of us don't have the money to go buy a building or buy a duplex or something like that. You've got to create a product that generates that passive income. That product could be movies, could be online courses, could be um, t-shirts that are, are set up online that you could that you don't even touch it. Orders come in and someone else drop ships it for you and you get a piece of the action and you never have to touch it again. There, there's things that you can create that generate revenue. I can tell you from experience, there's no better feeling than waking up in the morning or being on vacation, checking your email and go, oh, I just made some money. Oh, great. I don't have to worry about that. Right. And it's not, and it's, I'm not talking about billions of dollars. I'm not talking about millions no, of dollars. I'm not even talking about it. hundreds of thousands. Just not if doing someone, anything. If you're not doing anything, you made 25 bucks right now while we've been talking. That's a good, I'm happy. I wish. Right? I'd, I'd pick it, I'd pick it up <laughs> if it was on the floor. Yeah. I'd pick it up if it was on the floor. I, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not proud. I don't care if it's a dollar, if it's 50 cents. Like if you're an affiliate for Amazon, you know, you, you, you might get 60 cents if someone buys a book or buys a DVD or something or whatever that you're an affiliate for. Hey, I still got There's, a piggy bank. Exactly. <laughs> so it's it's about creating products that generate revenue for yourself. So if you make a movie and you create ancillary product lines that are self-generating and, and working online, and you do that once, twice, three, four, five times, so that's four or five movies in your portfolio that you own and that you have not given away stock and you know, lock, stock and barrel to a, to a predatory film distributor, then you have the control, you have the power to make your own money with it. And it's, and it's, now it's just coming in. So if let's say your movie, your first movies is generating $500 a month, let's just say, and it's, and it's been consistently making $500 a month for you. Okay. So let's say you do three or four more of those. And these are $5,000 movies. These are not big movies. But let's say you're able to generate about four or $500 a month with it. Well, if you do four or five, just at that pace, you're going to be making $2,500 a, a, a month. But that's on the low end. Right. Let's, say, let's start saying you start getting smarter. You start getting bigger. You start figuring things out. And now that number jumps from $500 to $1,000. And then all of a sudden, 
the last three movies are generating a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars a month for you. All of a sudden, you're making five, six grand a month off of these movies and all these other products. Let's not even talk about the services that you could be selling. Right. So it's not just ancillary products; it's services. So all of a sudden, you can become a consultant. All of a sudden, you could do speaking engagements. You could be teaching, educating people, creating courses about what you're doing. Workshops. Workshops, live workshops. And then um, you can actually sell your services as a marketer, as a consultant to talk about how to do what you're doing, all of those kind of things. And I, I'll use the example of my one of my first short films, uh, Broken, which I always joke about is the most talked about short film of all time because I never stopped talking about it. <laughs> um, but that film I made for $8,000 and sold 5,000 DVDs of it. And it's basically the origin story of the basically my film entrepreneurial method. Right. The way I look at things, it's the origin story of the method. But I sold a lot of DVDs, made a lot of money with it, created some ancillary revenue streams. I still make money with that movie today, every, every day, every week. I, I get some money comes in. If it's trickles, whatever, I always still make money with it. The thing I didn't count on when I made that movie, which was had like 100 visual effects shots, it was an action thriller, and it was in 2005, so that was kind of unheard of. Yes. My my market, which is independent filmmakers, they started to reach out to me. They're like, hey, Alex, can you, can you color grade my movie? Can you do visual effects for my movie? And all of a sudden, I launched a full-blown post house which I called num I, I was before I closed it it was called num robot and then all of a sudden that one $8000 investment has generated hundreds of thousands of dollars for me over the course of my last 17 years in the business working in post production but it launched and continued by the way I still got jobs off of that one movie because of that mm -hmm. so you can't just look at the one thing, like the movie, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell a ticket. I'm gonna sell a rental for three ninety nine. It's got to be a much larger ecosystem, and that's what I kind of talk about in the book. You talk a lot about, it. and I, I want to just, just say some of the chapter name of the chapters in the book, sure. books to really just, just say how much you talk about building an audience. Chapter eleven, uh, chapter thirteen. Money is in the lunchbox, you know, uh, chapter 16, <laughs> getting your film in the world. Uh, chapter 19, no, chapter 18, which I'm very curious about is video on demand and chapter mm -hmm. 19 self distribution. And like the list goes on, on art versus com commerce, which is a big one, you know, mm -hmm. like it's jam packed. Uh, once again, I say everybody needs this book on their bookshelf. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, in, in their in their book case, uh in their book sack while they're headed to a meeting as well. There's one there was one thing I wanted to get into and that mm -hmm. was you also have an O T T uh mm -hmm. service. Streaming service. Streaming yeah. service. So kinda get into that because that's one of the ways that you also, you know, have your di different funnels, but it works so well with what you s preach and what you do. So an OTT is an over the, over the, um, OTT, over the top, over the top, uh, streaming service. So basically it's Netflix, uh, for filmmakers, mm -hmm. but, uh, I think of it even a little bit more than that. So it's not just a membership site cause there's a lot of membership sites out there, but, uh, an indie film hustle TV, which is the streaming service 
you can get have access to it on Apple TV, on Roku, on your phone, on your apps. I have all the apps everywhere. So that kind of sets me apart from everybody else with a membership site, mm-hmm. gener- generally speaking. And I've focused that platform now on real-world film education is where I'm, I've kind of started to move the platform towards that because I realized after looking at my analytics, members of IFHTV – they enjoy the movies because I have movies about making movies up there. I have documentaries about making movies, and they do well. And I have series and stuff about making movies and documentaries and screenwriting. But where they really where, – what, what things they wanted is they want education. They want those interviews. They want those things that I could provide for them. And I'm now switching my platform, especially in 2020. I'm going to be creating a lot more content in regards to being a film entrepreneur. So there's going to be multiple courses – uh, micro courses, mini courses on deep, deeper dives into what we're talking about in the book, as well as micro budget filmmaking as well. I'm going to be going into it, but I created IFH TV in the first place because once again, I analyzed my marketplace. I saw that there is nothing like this out there and it's small enough that no one of the, none of the big boys cares. Right. And, but it's big enough for me. And it's and, and it's and it's it's a, it's something that the audience wants. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can get a lot of free stuff on YouTube. You can maybe go over to Udemy or to Skillshare or to Creative Live, and it's all over the damn place. Right. I wanted one place where you could sit down at home, click on your TV, go and just take a course, watch a movie, watch a series, watch something inspirational, watch an interview, uh, exclusive interview that I do with somebody do a deep dive into something else and learn about every aspect from cinematography, screenwriting, uh, distribution, every, every aspect of the film industry all in one single place. And it's worked so well over the, yeah, I've only had it for about a year uh, in November. I, I launched in November of last year. It's done very well. Uh, and now it's starting to grow more and more all the time. And now I'm really starting to feed that beast uh, a lot more. And because of the film, the film entrepreneur book, uh, a lot of people are starting to discover IFH TV. Even in this week and a half, I've just noticed it. I see it. And I use the book as a calling card or as a loss leader to get people into my world, to provide further value to them. It's not about a money grab. And I want to make that very clear. If you walk into this method thinking, I'm just going to make a lot of money, you won't make it. You might make a little cash here or there, but you're, in the long term, you won't make it. You've got to have passion for what you're doing. And I always lead, and, and you can answer this better than, than most, I always lead with all of my content to be of service to my community, to right. be of help. I give away 95% of what I do. It's just a, a, it's free for everybody, from my blog to my podcast to my YouTube videos. That's free. I I charge for the premium content. I charge for premium access. Right. And that is and that is the business model I, I do. So IFH TV has become now a very, uh, very important part of my business because it was a, a hole in the marketplace, just like my first DVD when I made my first short broken that had a guerrilla film school on it back in 2005 when there was no information anywhere online or anywhere to teach filmmakers how to make movies at a micro budget level. I was one of the first, if not the first to do it. And I saw a hole in the marketplace. I filled it. IFH TV, Indie Film Hustle, I did the same thing. Um, Bulletproof Screenwriting, which is my my screenwriting brand. And there's, God knows there's a lot of screenwriting 
oh, stuff boy. out there. Yes. There's there's a ton, right? Crap ton. When I launched I launched that about a year and a half ago, I would say. And that podcast is is I think number two or number three in all of screenwriting. Why? Because of the way I do it, the way my flavor of doing it. And I'm not a screenwriter. I am a writer. I have written a screenplay. I've written many screenplays, but I'm not that's not my brand. I'm not yeah. known as the screenwriter. But what I am known as is interviewing the best people on the planet in regards to the craft. Yeah. And man, I I don't know what podcast it was, but I've shared it so much. It's um I forgot what director it was, but it was over an hour. It was over an hour. It happened this year. And he mm-hmm. was he has a book too. Like and he was talking about how directors have art are the art of directing has been changed and what people think is directing is not really directing do you do you, do you recall the episode i'm talking is about is he is he is he an old school director yes. or a young guy oh old, john Badham. john ba- john badham yeah john badham yeah he, john, uh, john badham sure, but yeah no no it's john badham he has a book on directing john badham is a legend in our industry he he directed huge movies back in the 80s he's an amazing action director um, he did like Point of No Return back mm-hmm. in the day, uh, Nick of Time with Johnny Depp. Like he's, you know, he's and he's still directing. He's still he's, he does TV now. He's still directing. But that was a great. Ep- I, that I mean, I was, was so a honored. great episode. I was honored. I was, anytime somebody say they're a director, I'm like, hey, I got an episode you need to listen to <laughs> a podcast episode. I I share it. But hey, look, the pot between your podcast between your OTT service there's so much you give out and Mm -hmm. I like to say that I'm doing the same because I really love my industry and I really Mm -hmm. love uh I think of all of the you know type of industries and and uh jobs out there I think we have the best industry we don't have too much in terms of collaborating and helping each other out it's 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 wonderful, man. And I'll tell you what, this is from this is from an old salty dog that's been in the business for 25 years, got a lot of shrapnel in him. At its best, it's there's no other business like it. That's why it attracts so many people into our into our industry. It is a magical, wonderful business when it's at its best. Yes. When it's at its worst, it is the most brutal, cutthroat, and and most many times disgusting industry you can be a part of, but it all it depends on how you approach it. And it all depends on what game you want to play because those disgusting parts I'm talking about are within the system. They're, they're not as much outside the system. If you're doing your own thing and building your own box, you can avoid a lot of that stuff. But when you start getting in playing with these other guys that are inside the business, it can, and I'm not saying all, I've caught, of course, not everyone's bad. Yeah, not, yeah. Every, not everybody's predatory. But I've just seen enough and I've talked to enough people and I know enough filmmakers to know what the truth is about the industry. And when it's good, man, I tell you, there's just no more. There's no more. There's no magical, more magical business to be in. You know, like I I always I always use the analogy. I got bitten by the filmmaking bug back in 2018. I've been infected by that virus. I mean, Uh when I was uh, when I was 18, I was infected with that virus. There is no no cure. Uh, there is no vaccination for it, so you're, you're screwed. So once you get bitten by it, it's done. And the it flares up sometimes. It can go dormant for years, but then it will flare back up. Like sometimes you could be dormant for 20 years, and then when you're 50, you're like, I got to go make my Yeah, money. I got to go create like, something. Exactly. <laughs> so when you have that, it, it's it's always going to be there. And the only real cure for it is really being on set. 
really mm-hmm. that's the only cure that's the only thing that really right. not cure that's the only that's the only treatment for it um and that's how you have to look at it because i tried to to quit this business multiple times i the closest i came to it is when i left to open up an olive oil and vinegar gourmet shop and i still did an occasional job here or, or directing there when those jobs came in but i'd been burned out by the business and i had just been so beaten up that i had to to leave and then when i came back i came back with with, with vigor and that, that's what you see before you today well look like i said huge fan uh i know you have you have another engagement but the book so far i'm loving it rise of the film film entrepreneur film entrepreneur there you go all right entrepreneur entrepreneur film entrepreneur film entrepreneur entrepreneur. i'm I'm loving it i'm gonna have every once again alex ferrari you gotta follow him you gotta listen to him because the guy gives out his heart he gives out his mind heart soul and appreciate that man can't get enough of it i would love to have you back on the show anytime you know hit me up be careful be careful what you wish for because i you know i can talk Um, but me too especially when it comes to this especially when it comes to this i probably i have i probably haven't had as much energy on the show on any (laughs) other any other episodes not saying my other guest has not brought it out of me i'm just saying I i wanted to bring one other thing up before i go yeah um so we talked about my film uh, on the corner of ego and desire at the beginning of this. Right. Uh, so I, I made a movie for three thousand dollars, and I went to Sundance and shot a movie about filmmakers trying to sell their movie at Sundance. So it's kind of like a a love letter and a and a kind of a tough love movie story about how crazy and ridiculous we are as filmmakers. Uh-huh. And I wanted to show the truth about what it's like to be at Sundance, to be at Park City, and then the stupidity. And the ridiculousness that is our egos as filmmakers and a lot of the things that are in this in the movie are me, my experiences personally, and mm-hmm. things I've heard about over the years. But I wanted to bring it up. And by the way, that movie comes out January 21st now, uh, 2020. It's going to come out three days before Sundance because that's the way I hustle. And um, and it's going to be available on Amazon, iTunes, and exclusively on IFH TV. You'll have director commentary. You'll have special edi- special behind-the-scenes stuff. All that stuff will be on um, my platform, IFH TV. But I bring it up for a reason. That movie has has not been released yet, and I'm generating revenue with it right now. And I've generated revenue with it by talking about it on my podcast, I've, about creating a blog post about it because those are the those are the avenue revenue streams I've been able to create for myself and it is a made it's multiple case studies multiple things in the book I talk about on the corner of ego and desire because of how I did it what I did how I'm using the film entrepreneur method within it because I can't build a better product or film for my audience like that is as perfect of a product as I could ever build right for anybody who follows me like any Anyone who who is a filmmaker who hears about that, generally speaking, is gonna be interested in watching it. Just out of morbid curiosity on oh yeah, how the hell how For the sure. hell this guy how the hell this guy even shot this thing gorilla style at Sundance at Sundance right without their permission. Mm-hmm. I even shot two scenes in Sundance headquarters. Was it was it so, similar to the Disney World Disneyland? Movie? Yeah, it was. Yeah, at uh, yeah Tomorrowland something Tomorrowland. Yeah, yeah, it, it was similar. It was similar to that, but it's not. Uh, I'm not. I make fun yeah. of Sundance a little bit. Yeah, but it's honestly a love letter to Park City specifically because I love the experience of, of Sundance and there is a very magical thing that happens there. But it's mostly a parody about the independent film world, mm-hmm. and there hasn't really been a movie about filmmakers trying to sell their movie. It's always about the making of. 
there's never been a film about filmmakers just trying to sell their movie and trying to get it made and how ridiculous their movie is and the stuff that comes out of their mouths. You're just like, what is, oh my God. <laughs> but I use that, I use that book, that movie in my book and I've already started generating revenue with it without it. And that's the key because at $3,000, I know I'll make money off the, uh, off the actual, the actual exploitation of the film. There's right. no doubt I will make money with it, uh-huh. but I don't need to. It's not like I have to make money with that selling of that movie or access to that movie. Mm-hmm. But it, people are going to sign up to IFH TV because of it. People are going to buy the book, and I'm going to I'm going to do courses based off of it. It's just going to keep building and building because I've built a product for my audience, and I'm providing a tremendous amount of value to my audience. And that's where I think everybody needs to think about when they're creating something. I've created a whole. I could literally make another four or five movies just about filmmaking. Or just about screenwriting, and I could probably sell those all day. I believe if it. I want all day, but I have other fish to fry. Yeah, but, that, <laughs> but I have other fish to fry. But that is the business that I've created for myself in the niche of filmmaking, and that is something that everyone can replicate in in a niche somewhere or other. And I talk about it a lot in the book, and a lot of case studies of how other people have done it in other industries and in other niches to build multi-million dollar empires. I mean, literally multi-million dollar media empires based off of one movie. It's it's pretty remarkable. It's a very powerful method. And I truly hope it provides value to your audience and to any filmmaker that reads it. I hope it puts them on the right path because if if, if they don't change the way they think about filmmaking, they will not survive. They won't. If you, they, if you don't think entrepreneurially in the future, if you think you're going to make a movie, sell it to a distributor or give it to a distributor or win Sundance, that's that's circa 1993, guys. That does not work anymore. There's always the outlier. There's always the exception. But for the rest of us, it's a lottery ticket. And I always use that example. I, I use it in the book too. Lottery ticket winners. Who who do the lottery uh, the lottery people put up every week to show pictures and take pictures? They they show the lottery ticket yeah, winner, right? Yeah. They don't show the millions upon millions of people who lost mm-hmm. that week. So every week someone wins the lottery, but there's millions that don't. And I'm talking to the millions. I'm not talking to the one that won the lottery. You're right. If you do not change your state of mind, if you don't future-proof yourself, if you don't actually start thinking strategically and actually sticking to what you love, this this will kill you because this crap is hard. You this, won't make it. You this crap is hard. If you don't stick to what you know and, and, and don't think you have to know everything to start something. To, to mm-hmm. create a class, you don't just know at least probably like 5% more than the average person. Well, then, uh, pro- yeah, than the average person, go out and did do you, something. Did you remember that movie, Catch Me If You Can, the one with Leonardo yes, DiCaprio? Yes, I got it. Okay. All right, so that movie, right? Yeah. So they asked the, the real guy because he actually taught in like MIT. He, he pretended to be a professor at MIT when he was like, you know, 19 years old. Uh-huh. And he snuck in and like taught classes and stuff. And they asked them, dude, like, how did you teach a class at MIT without even going to college? And he's like, oh, I just read a chapter ahead. That's, That's it. all you need to be. That's, That's all it. you need. You need to be a chapter ahead of whoever you're teaching and you are a master. Mm-hmm. That's the key. You don't have to be Yoda. You know, you could be Ray. Yeah. You could be. You could be Luke, right? You know, uh-huh. as long as you just know just a little bit more, it's all it takes to be a teacher, man. Hey, that's it. That's it. 
really come like January when it's around time for your for your um to film film come out come back on the show we can talk about it um I'll I'd, get that yeah yeah come back anytime and let me know if you if I need to show up and speak whatever <laughs> whatever the hell I know and uh <laughs> we can I go and we can that. go and hit it but yeah I Alex, appreciate that. like thank you for reaching out like I said shocked shocked me by getting that email and um hey my viewers out there you have to you have to get to know this guy and you have to pick up this book because it's a jewel and it's available and it's available at www.filmbizbook.com filmbizbook.com that takes you directly there you can buy it on amazon uh barnes and noble everywhere else and a little tip for everybody and this is a film entrepreneur tip if you guys want to get the book for free, you want to get the audio book for free, if you do not have an Audible account, there's a, a button you can click. You click on it and sign up for the for, for Audible for free for 30 days. Then download the book. And if you don't want to stay on Audible, you don't have to. You can cancel after that, but you can download the book. By the way, I get paid when you sign up for free and when you buy my book. So it's a great way to support me and you get the book for free. That is a film entrepreneurial side hustle i think i have that link because i think that's the same link i clicked so definitely um send me all the links i'm gonna put everything in the show notes um man you have so many links for first of all uh probably more (laughs) more than any (laughs) other guests i've had but i'm gonna have i'll send them all all over to you brother send them all send them all we're gonna have everything in the show notes once again that's alex ferrari you know thank you for coming on can't wait to speak to you again. Thanks again, brother. I appreciate it, and I'm humbled. And and by the way, keep doing the good work that you're doing with your podcast and oh, with I'm, your platform. I'm keep, I really keep appreciate going. what you're doing, man. I appreciate what you're doing for the community as well, man. All right. That's Alex Ferrari. 